Welcome to the Wellbeing Designers Podcast. My name is Reka Deak. I am your host. This podcast is about well-being at work and in life. We discover how we can design the future of well-being together so we can create human-centric organizations and a sustainable work life. In the first season of the podcast, I talked with the first generation of well-being leaders in big organizations. Usually, they were the very first ones in their organization ever to have the title of Head of Wellbeing or similar. In the second season, starting with episode 9, you will meet similar people again, and I invited some other interesting profiles as well. All these people work on Wellbeing on a systemic level. Their mission is related to make the world a better place, through focusing on well-being. In the past years, especially since COVID, employee well-being got on the top of the agenda, not only for companies worldwide, but even some countries and other official institutions started to call for action. In the well-being designers podcast conversations, I would like to highlight the work of those sometimes invisible people, leaders, who are either in charge of well-being in organizations and trying to navigate amongst the growing amount of well-being offerings while connecting efforts to business impact and most importantly, create real value for employees. Or they are those leaders who are doing their best to create international forums to exchange, raise awareness and take action on well-being and people sustainability. They might be the ones whose responsibility is to take care of hundreds, thousands, or ten thousands of people's well-being. They might be the ones who keep decision makers and CEOs engaged about the topic of well-being. They might be the ones who are proving that employee well-being is a strategic enabler of sustainable performance and business success. They might be the connectors between well-being leaders across companies and countries. I call these people well-being designers. Enjoy listening to them and learning from them. Together, we can design a human-centric work life and the future of well-being. Our guest today is Karen Guggenheim. She is the creative force behind the World Happiness Summit, the leading well-being conference promoting the benefits of an evidence-based approach to increase well-being in all areas of life. Karen is a social entrepreneur, a leader in promoting the science behind happiness to an international audience. She is a motivational speaker, inspiring people about how to grow post-trauma and rebuild a life focused on meaning, purpose, and well-being. She is also CEO of Wohasu, the comprehensive well-being ecosystem named after the summit that is inspiring a fast-growing movement, sending a positive rippling effect around the world. At heart, Karen is a creator and a storyteller 
who focuses on cultivating a movement to foster connection, highlight our shared humanity, and acknowledge that the road to happiness often requires us to travel through considerable challenges. In 2016, after a personal tragedy, Karen drastically altered her career path to create Wasu LLC and make a case for well-being by highlighting the opportunities for win-win scenarios created by learning and implementing evidence-based tools and policies that support human sustainability. Karen holds an MBA from Georgetown University and a communication master from the University of Miami. She is also a member of the board of directors of the World Wellbeing Movement. Her first book was published by Rizzoli in March 2023 in Italy, and the English version will be published in March 2024. For her work, Karen received the key to the city of Miami in the U.S. Hi, Karen. Very warm welcome to you on the Webbing Designers podcast. Very happy to be here and chat with you about my uh, favorite topic. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, happiness and well-being, can I guess? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So uh, just a short intro, how I discovered you and why you are here on this podcast. Of course, I heard about the World Happiness Summit, and you are the founder of this uh, amazing movement. I approached you and you were cool enough to say yes and be here today, because I think we are on a very similar mission, maybe from different angles. I am mainly interviewing people, at least on season one, from the corporate side, from big organizations, head of well-beings. But now I started to invite people like you, who work also on the systemic change and use well being mm-hmm. as a tool. Can you share some words about yourself, who you are and how you got here? So I guess I became happy accidentally. In the beginning of my, my journey in promoting the science behind well-being to as large public as possible and at scale is through unhappiness. So about 10 years ago, uh, I lost my husband suddenly. And so there was a lot of personal tragedy and trauma in our in our family's life and my intuitive reaction was to choose happiness in in a way through purpose and meaning to be able to provide a worthwhile and fulfilling life basically at first for my children so my my growth and happiness uh, journey has been through through purpose through meaning and through service and that was before I knew that there was a science behind it and about positive psychology. And it was kind of a survival mechanism. I knew that would be my purpose, you know, how to get there. I didn't know how to do that. And then I started to, to become happy through actions I took. And when I reflected upon and I looked at how I became happy again, and how I experienced post-traumatic growth, I was able to learn and to explore ways that then we could teach other people to feel more fulfilled in their lives, experience growth, resilience, and all those things that are teachable and learnable. And so I decided to dedicate my life 
and create my business around the World Happiness Summit and then the, all the other things that we do with Wahasu, which is training. So, for example, we have an element of well-being certification training that we're launching this fall. We have a Chief Happiness Officer certification training for the corporate world. And so the idea is how do we make this science known to the greatest public as possible and also how do we show the practical implementation of the science and the tool? So our approach is very practical, science-based, but practical. And we also launched an app to support people and to build community. That's the other thing that you were talking about. The movement is very important, the Wahasu Happiness Movement and Wellbeing Movement. So we are supporters of that and drivers of that. And that is about creating community of like-minded people who want to make well-being the priority and the goal of their personal and professional lives. Thanks for this great summary. And if I can just uh, pick on the last uh, part, the community, you know, since I started this podcast, my well-being community also grew. And uh, yeah, it was just a bit uh, unexpected that so many people from all over the world came to me and they said, wow, this was missing such a conversation, especially from the corporate side. So I am sure now you will get new followers, my listeners also into your movement. I believe that we are still at the beginning and we we have to support each other, like-minded professionals in this movement. Absolutely. So we launched Wahasu in, in, in 2016 and the first summit was in March 2017. So it's it's been evolving. We're still kind of at the beginning of the movement, but back then it was kind of People didn't know what we were talking about when we talked about happiness. And now that's been moving forward and we're very excited about that. And I'm personally excited to be also part of your community. And we welcome your listeners to the Wahasu community movement because it will take um, many people together joining around the world for us to be able to make positive changes very necessary in the times that we're living right now. We're living in very... Uh, fast moving times with a lot of information and a lot of information overload. And so it's so important to focus on what matters and and it's our personal well-being, but also how other people matter as well. And, and what I love about this work is that it incorporates the self and the other. So creating more opportunities for win-win scenarios, both at work and at home. Absolutely. And how did your movement evolve? You said you had the first summit in 2017. So how big was it? And then how big was the last one at Como, which was 2022, right? And I already saw that the next one, and I can advertise it a bit. The next one will be, sorry, that was 2023 at Como and 2024 will be in London. So we began as an event in 2017, and it was kind of an experiment. What would happen if we gather the world's leading experts in the science behind happiness and well-being and practitioners and such? with a holistic agenda touching on different subjects. We do a lot of advocating for bringing in well-being economics into country policy and country agenda, because that's very important to go beyond GDP as a measure of country success. And people from all over the world came. So 40 countries, 45 U.S. states, around 600, 700 people perhaps, from all age groups, all different levels, students, CEOs, entrepreneurs, monks, supermodels, everything. And the wonderful thing is that 
Wahasu evolved organically into a community and then into a movement. So because of the rippling effect of what was started in 2017 in Miami, um, we've seen it grow. So people that have come to the summit or know about the summit, then they have been able to create nonprofits to promote happiness. They've created other events promoting happiness. They've brought the research into universities and schools around the world. So that's how Wahasu has been a driver in this conversation and influenced and impacted the global happiness movement because of all the people who have come, have uh, rippled out and, and created their own organizations or, or teachings or trainings having to do with happiness. But they began with the World Happiness Summit and what happened in Miami in 2017. And then we've had several summits in Miami. And then, as you mentioned, Como in March. So we had a thousand people in Como, 65 different countries, much more online as well, because there is a virtual ticket for those who can't come to in person. And we're so excited to be going to London in March. And what is really interesting is that this time around, it'll be the first time uh, that we will have the summit on the weekday. So this is also to accommodate more of a corporate participation and people who, who work and want to uh, have the training at the summit, because the summit is not only a fun event, but it's also a training, it's a is an immersive experience provided with training. I think learning has never been more fun. And so by doing it on March 19th and 20th, we are able to bring in more people from the business world and we will be celebrating International Day of Happiness together, which is March 20th. So we'll be celebrating that at the summit live. So it's going to be a lot of fun as well. Wow, <laughs> that sounds amazing. Now I want to come even more. <laughs> So you mentioned the corporates and governments, and I would like to elaborate a bit on this. Um, I am very curious uh, how you are connected to corporates, because that's one of the focus of, of this podcast and the previous guests. And at the same time, I also know about the Wellbeing Manifesto, which was even signed by some uh, parties in the UK. Well, we can start with the Como Wellbeing Manifesto, which was uh, written by Professor Lord Richard Lyard. London School of Economics, and we launched it together at the World Happiness Summit, Como. And it is a call to action for individuals and then corporate leaders as well to bring well-being into the forefront of the personal, professional education and also policy life. So that's on our website, worldhappinesssummit.com, and you can sign it there in different languages. We also have a private meeting, which we called lovingly the age 20 or happy 20. And it's by invitation only. And what we do with this meeting is that we bring experts and advocates and policy leaders and government officials to learn about the science and the research behind well-being and why it's important to make a case for it. And so uh, we'll have this meeting in um, the day before the summit on March 18th. In, in London School of Economics. So we're going to have that meeting. I also work very closely with the World Wellbeing Movement. I am on the board of that. And so the mission there is to bring, again, well-being 
into policy and into business and to do that at scale. That's the mission of the world well-being movement. And in the corporate world, that's something that's that we're very much aligned to in our mission because as we transform business environments into positive organizations, then that not only impacts the business, the organization, the individuals there, but also the families who are associated with the individuals who work in these organizations. So then we can have, again, the rippling effect that I was talking to you about earlier, and we can do that at scale. So if we can raise the awareness of the importance and the benefits, the business benefits of making a case for happiness, right? So not only is it the right thing to do for the individual, but also we know from research that we can uh, positively impact traditional business results as well, because we're talking about long-term success and long-term longevity of, of the organization is tied into right now. The conversation is very much around burnout, right? So obviously burnout of employees has a negative impact on business results because we're talking about people. So you're not going to be as productive if you're burned out or if you're highly stressed or if you're in a toxic environment. And the wonderful thing about that is that we know now that we can do something about it. And so there are ways to transform organizations. And we do that, a lot of training around that with our Chief Happiness Officer Certification, which is uh, co-certified by Florida International University. It's the only Chief Happiness Officer Certification certified by a university with us, along with Wahasu. It's taught by a PhD. So um, again, bringing the rigor of academia into the principle of well-being and happiness and how to make it in a systemic way. We're going to be talking in London about human sustainability. So we'll have Jen Fisher from Deloitte speaking around that. That's something that she's advocating for and making amazing, amazing progress in, in that regard. And she's a, a very close friend of Wuhasu. And her work is really important in the field of human sustainability. So, and how purpose ties into that. The theme is purpose. And so the wonderful thing is that you can work and choose your purpose. So where you might not be able to experience positive emotion in, in a moment, because maybe you're having a work challenge or a life challenge, but you can work on your purpose. And so we're going to talk about how that ties into meaning in life and also how you can have a more fulfilling and thriving personal professional life through purpose. You mentioned Jen Fisher's name. I am following her. Yeah, big uh, fan of what uh, she's doing, especially that, you know, myself, I come from uh, management consulting and I also know how uh, difficult this is in any corporate or big organization, but especially in consulting. So yeah, I think her work is really groundbreaking. Maybe one day we could have her here on this podcast as well. Yeah. You mentioned the three popular words, happiness, well-being, longevity. How did this evolve from 2017? You started more with the happiness, right? And then you went into more the direction of well-being and now maybe longevity. When I look for the definition of happiness, it says it's a state of well-being and contentment. So they are so much connected to each other. Can we still differentiate them or, or does it make sense, you know, to differentiate them somehow? In my opinion, it doesn't really matter. The meaning is what matters. So, for example, when we talk about happiness, we're talking about subjective well-being or well-being. But 
it's not a word that is such an emotional word, you know, like when I say, are you happy? Are your kids happy? Happiness is something that we feel in our heart and in the pit of our stomach. And it's an energizing word. What is important to note is that we're talking about, when I talk to you about longevity, is about long-term sustainable happiness. So it's not about having fun in the moment. So fun is great and wonderful, but you can't have fun all the time. You know, that's hedonism. And that's not what we're talking about. So we, that's why purpose is so incredibly important. Relationships are important. You know, I, I almost call it like a mature happiness, taking into account all these things. So for example, sometimes being a parent, maybe will not make you as happy as in experiencing a fun or something like that, because you're changing a diaper at three o'clock in the morning, right? And you have a presentation at six or 10 or whatever. And so in that sense, you're not feeling that maybe sense of joy, but there's a lot of purpose and meaning around that. So it's like building the foundation to have this, this sustainable sense of well-being through your life. You know, that you did this well, that you built that relationship, that you built that bond in this case, with your child, right? And so I think that that now we're in a point where we understand this kind of evolving and mature sense of happiness, as it were, and that it has all these elements around it. And that's why we created the Certificate of the Elements of Well-Being program, okay? Because it's about deconstructing and constructing happiness through the elements of well-being, the things that you can choose, because there's a lot of kind of uh, conversation around, can you choose to be happy? So Mm -hmm. can I choose to feel euphoria in this moment just to say, hey, I'm going to have euphoria? No, right? But if you're talking about well-being in the sense that we're saying, and then you can construct it by, okay, well, let me look at my personal purpose. Let me see if I can connect with my purpose at work. Let me work on my relationships. Let me work on my physical well-being, my self-care, my mental health as well. Let me be mindful. How do I stay in the moment so that I don't think about the past or the future? So I'm not in, you know, a constant nostalgic state or anxious state about the future. But if I'm in the moment in a non-judgmental way and focusing on my awareness, the here and now, whether it's in my professional life or my or my personal life, then I'm feeling a greater sense of contentment and I'm able to control the cortisol that's being released in the body, right? That's very important. We do that through the breath, through being mindful, through some of these other exercises that can keep you in the moment. And if you can do that, you can make better decisions. You can learn better. So that translates to the workplace very well. And they're all things that you can choose to do. And what happens is that then you get into habits. How do you create habits? Well, you make you do these things over time. And what can help you do that? Well, you can establish repetitive behaviors or rituals or use technology to remind you and do the things that work for you, right? That you like to do that yeah, yeah. make you feel better. This is a lot uh, about like individual and also workplace uh, well-being. Uh, what would you highlight in terms of uh, companies who you worked with, whose approach really, you know, resonates with you or you even helped through Vohasu having journey? So what we did with a company, a large a multinational company that worked really great and I found very fulfilling was that we did 
monthly masterclasses so the whole company could attend. And then I would host those and again, demystify happiness and then take a theme every month and talk around that. Demystifying it with the science or going to what it is, what does science have to say about it, and then what you can do about it. And so with two approaches in your personal life and then with your colleagues at work, because again, you know, you can't be happy at work if you're not happy in your personal life. It's very hard because we're the same people. So there's not a balance. There's an integration. Both people go to the same place, you know, (laughs) you don't, you know, and you shouldn't leave your feelings behind because we are human and it's okay to feel the range of human emotions. It's how you express those perhaps that are different ways that you can do that. And so that was very fulfilling. We also are able to license the content from the summit. So some organizations, they have uh, well-being platforms for their employees, but they're not content rich and we're content rich. So we are able to provide the content in different ways so their employees can listen to these amazing talks. In this particular organization also, they sent 50 well-being champions, so happiness champions to the summit. So then they had like team building exercises around that. And then the commitment was that then they would bring the findings of the summit or what they learned to their colleagues back in different offices around the world, and they could pay it forward, which is wonderful. Mm -hmm. So that's something that has really worked. Other organizations also send colleagues to do the chief happiness officer certification, and then they do a pilot program within their business and see the results. And what's really important is to measure. So measure how people feel when they're talking this way, when they have a language of well-being, when you're creating psychological space, when you're defining what these things are. Because what we found out is that many of these concepts are quite simple and we assume that people understand this. So psychological safety, nobody's going to tell you, no, I don't know what that is. But what does that really mean in practice in the workplace? For some people, it might be, I get to scream at you when you make a mistake because you made a mistake, right? Well, maybe not, right? (laughs) So it's important to have these conversations so then people know what this means. I can ask questions. I can make a mistake and own up to it. And then this is how it's handled. The workforce that you want to attract as a successful business is looking for that language. Mm -hmm. It's looking for that context. And if you're not providing it, you're not speaking the language of the top talent you want to hire because you know the younger workforce is not just attracted by money. If you want to have the top talent who are then going to elevate and innovate your business, they need to have a context where they feel listened to and valued as an individual and a contributor to the greater success of the business. And this is a collaborative approach. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. This is what we see here as well in Switzerland and uh, internationally. That's why some companies are just waking up because they realize they cannot attract talent and the new generation. What would be your ultimate advice for future well-being leaders? The first thing is awareness. Really important to develop self-awareness. So why do you feel the way that you feel? What are you doing with those feelings? What are you thinking? Right? And understand that not all your thoughts are true. So to really understand what's being impacted by old frames of thinking you know, and what is impacted by emotion. Remember, feelings are feelings. Doesn't mean you have to identify with them. You don't have to identify with your thoughts. So to have an ability 
to reflect self-awareness. So for example, in, in our ACE model of well-being, awareness is the first part. ACE, awareness, connection, experience. Awareness is the first thing. And not only self-awareness, but in the corporate world and personal as well, it's so important to also have an awareness of others. How are you being received by others? So you see the reaction of your language, your verbal and nonverbal communication, your behaviors, et cetera, are impacting others because the context is so important in the environment in which you're working on. So if I would have to say one thing would be about awareness, you know, making sure that you are taking care of yourself and that you are leading by example. So if you're advocating for well-being, that, that others who follow you see that you're actually authentic with that, because if you don't, they're not going to buy in. They're going to buy in not only what you say, but what you do. And treating others with respect is incredibly important. So that ties into the awareness of, of others and how you impact others. We are very much aligned. What I find amazing with the well-being movement that we are facing, that previously this was taught in leadership development programs for leaders, maybe not in all companies, but the more <clears throat> progressive companies, which went beyond the time management and productivity. But now we have this uh, amazing opportunity to, to teach this to anyone, to all employees, to everyone in the companies and beyond uh, the corporate world. Absolutely. And by joining an event like the summit, then you have the ability to connect, which is the other component, connect with like-minded people. So then you can learn from others as well and what worked in your organization. And if, okay, hospitality or professional services, et cetera. And so then it's wonderful because you can co-create and also learn from each other. So that's a really great thing. And then you have to put it into practice. And that's the experience mm -hmm. part. You have to actually act on the knowledge that you have. Thanks a lot, Karen. It was great to have you here. And I really hope that we will meet very soon in person and we can continue a conversation like this. <laughs> see you in March in London. Yes, see you. Ciao. <laughs> Ciao. Thank you. Take care. <laughs> I would like to share some exciting news with you. I will be there on the Mind and Health Festival in Bregenz, 18th of October, and I will deliver a keynote about how to measure well-being in organizations. This is based on real-life practices of some of the world's largest organizations. So let me know if you are going to be there and we can meet up. Then in November, uh, I will be in Budapest uh, in Hungary on a conference uh, delivering a similar keynote. In mid-November, let me know if you are joining the Horizon Summit in Amsterdam in the Netherlands as I will lead a panel discussion, enhancing people well-being through creating inclusive workplaces as a cornerstone of psychological safety. And last but not least, end of November, if you are in Zurich, Switzerland, then don't miss the Disrupt HR event. I will be there to spread the word about well-being with a surprise talk. There is another exciting collaboration in making. In the next episode, I will share more about it. So stay tuned. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Wellbeing Designers podcast. If you would like to keep in touch with me, with us, sign up to the Wellbeing Designers newsletter. You can do this on our website, www.wellbeing.design. 
you can reach out to me via the website or via LinkedIn as well. I am really happy to connect with other well-being designers from all over the world. Well-being designers is ready to work with you. So reach out if you or your organization needs expertise and inspiration why and how to create a culture of well-being and upskill your workforce, your employees, your leaders with future well-being skills. Remember, together we can design a human-centric work life and the future of well-being.